No Directions Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plaguestone Pathfinder 2e actual play podcast. Featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Directions own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at RollForCombat.com. No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at NoDirectionPodcast.com. Welcome to Starfinder 101, panel here at Gen Con 2019. How's everybody doing today? All right, first day. We'll see what that response is by the time we get to this time on Sunday. Uh, Thank you all so much for joining us. Um, This is Starfinder 101. Uh, We are going to start out with some introductions of who we are and what we work on uh, on the game, and then we've got some lovely slides to give you a good overview of what the game is from a setting standpoint, rules standpoint, character standpoint, adventure standpoint, all of the major points, and then we will open it up to your questions. So I'll go ahead and start today. Uh, my name is Amanda Hammond. I am the managing developer for Starfinder. I'm Joe Passini. I'm the lead designer on Starfinder as of last week. So. Hi, I'm Thurston Hillman. I am the Starfinder Society developer. And I'm Sarah Robinson. I am the creative director for the arts for Starfinder. All right, so uh, just briefly uh, here, we've got a a lovely, uh, very dynamic-looking battle that is going on with starships. I would like all of our panelists to kind of briefly talk a little bit about what they think Starfinder has to offer to new players, uh, folks who are interested in tabletop or role-playing in general. What is it that makes Starfinder fun and unique, do you think, Joe? For me, it's the... You're the crew of a ship flying around in a big galaxy. Uh, we have lots of setting material that you can use if you want, but I'm, I'm also, I like the episode of the week kind of sci-fi fantasy. Um, and, you know, starships are baked right into the core rulebook, so you, you have a ship as a crew, and you're, you can all be weird aliens from everywhere. Um, Alien Archive 3 is not quite out yet, but once it is, there will be a hundred playable species of aliens for, to, for you to choose from. Um, so it goes, it goes for this cantina feel that we've always tried to, yeah. to have, and I feel like we've <laughs> reached that, and we're not going to stop either. So we'll keep making up weird stuff, and that's what I enjoy most. Thirsty. Oh, okay. Uh, what I like most about Starfinder is the ability to do wacky things you can't do in typical fantasy games. Uh, especially we get a lot of people who really love that, wow, this is a role-playing game where social media can be a thing and I can be a pop star. Spoiler alert, we got a lot of pop stars <laughs> next door. Um, but it, it is something that is different, but has a lot of real-world connections that people can immediately go, oh yeah, I get that, but it's not common in a role-playing game, so it's really interesting to me. Oh, uh, for me, it was uh, just a great opportunity to come up with a new world and come up with new looks for uh, characters, just step away from the typical fantasy setting. Yeah, yeah, I really like that as well. Everything that you guys have said, I really love that Starfinder is uh, in a very unique position as a science fantasy game that takes place in the far future of Galarian, um, but that there are different elements of different tropes uh, within 
popular types of role playing. Like you can do cyberpunk and Starfinder if you want. Um, you can do straight sci-fi if you want. You can do low magic setting. You can do high magic setting all in space in the future. And, and like Thirsty said, you can play with elements of like social media or being an intergalactic pop star, um, uh, you know, or anything like that. And that is something that you don't necessarily typically see a lot of in role playing games. Um, I also really enjoy the uh, setting, the solar system in which Starfinder takes place. And uh, we're going to talk about that here in a moment. This is the Pact Worlds. Uh, this is uh, where most of the adventures and the campaign setting is centered uh, in uh, Starfinder. And we've got Absalom Station, which is in the place where Galarian was, if you're familiar with the Pathfinder campaign setting. Uh, there's Absalom Station right there. Joe, do you want to talk a little bit about what you like about Pact Worlds? Which one is your favorite or what adventures you've played there? Favorite? I love them all. Um, I'm partial to, I recently for an adventure path, we... I wrote, which we put out uh, mm. to help people run adventures uh, if they don't necessarily want to come up with everything on their own. Uh, one where you, well, I'll give you a hint. The title of the volume was called Sun Divers. So uh, we dove, in that volume, you dive into the sun uh, because there are bubble cities in the sun and there are things even deeper in the sun that are even weirder. Uh, and so I think I have to pick the sun as my favorite. Um, but there's, there's all kinds of, there's an undead planet. There's the, yeah. you know, planet of robots and androids. There's Oh, the diaspora, an asteroid belt that used to be two planets, but yeah. you know, things happen <laughs> in space. Uh, yeah. I'll stop there. <laughs> I just like them all. <laughs> um, for me, I guess it would be, well, planet I wrote. Uh, <laughs> um, Avalon, the, the planet that's inhabited by all of these sentient robots. And that's where androids go. That's where we see a lot of like the constructs. But it has a lot of very... I want to say tropey elements of like there are these cities that were built by these first ones and we don't know much about them and there's a lot of adventure hooks there one of the the real neat things about creating like a planet that's basically closest to the sun and inhabited by robots is you have to you have to come up with some really unique adventuring locations and one of the things I think Starfinder just the pack worlds in general does is there's a lot of just really cool backdrop locations that can bring adventures to life. So. Yeah, and just um, going off of that, it was really fun to get, just going, getting some new worlds to get to illustrate. Um, I think I like the robot one, and I think, um, I don't know the names of these, but uh, the, <laughs> the one with the crazy planet, uh, plants and stuff, and... Yeah. 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 The jungle planet. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of jungle planets, we... <laughs> wow, what a transition. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> did not plan that. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. You. Mind mouth. We uh, have lots of different types of adventures and stories that we can tell in Starfinder, including on uh, a jungle planet. And I think this really just kind of illustrates how versatile the campaign setting is, how versatile the packed world uh, setting is. We have a few others um, as well. Uh, that we can show. Yeah. So we've got Octurn. Um, do you guys want to talk a little bit about Octurn? This is an interesting planet. I want to hear Thirsty talk about Octurn. Uh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> Octurn, Octurn is kind of this weird far out planet that may or may not just be a great old one. We don't know. Um, and so, like, if you thought, hey, you know, Lovecraft, all this kind of like terrifying, horror-y stuff, that can. That can sure show up on a planet that is potentially entirely just one big Lovecraftian horror. You don't know. Kind of makes you feel like small and insignificant while you're adventuring on something that could wake up at any moment. Um, but it just has this like really 
alien feel to it compared to a lot of our other planets and like the art shows that really well and just some of the the text that came in i think it was ron who did the write-up for that but like there's just a lot of like really out there stuff <laughs> going back a little to castrovel the jungle planet you know that's there's three major continents well four uh, three major species that live there that ant like formians uh there's the lashunta which are humans with antenna with yep. telepathic yep. abilities <laughs> and then elves and uh, there's a lot of lore on about those uh, three races, but you can play any one of them also, a character of any one of those species, which is really cool. And it's a little more traditional uh, sci-fi fantasy, maybe. Um, yeah, I think so. It, it's also interesting, at least from my perspective, that um, the uh, Lushunta have uh, two subspecies, and that uh, they're dimorphic in a way that you can be uh, short and stocky and have a little bit of a tougher constitution, or you can be tall and lithe and have... Uh, a little more magic uh, elements to you so it allows you to really customize what type of creature that you are and it's very rooted in the setting and, and where those species come from. Um, speaking of different types uh, of adventures that Joe mentioned, so this is also somewhat of a, of a uh, type of subgenre or trope within sci-fi. This is a very urban setting. We have a planet called Avalon that's all about uh, urban settings. Joe, do you want to talk a little bit about Avalon? Uh, I want to talk about Epsilon Station. Okay. That, I think of that as one of our major urban settings, even though it's a giant space station. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for adventure there. Um, in the, our beginner box, uh, we have an adventure that's set in its... I, if you remember from the art earlier, there's kind of a ring and then a spike that goes down. and There's ghost levels in that spike that we don't really know what are in there. <laughs> You'll hear us say that a lot about this setting. Like, we don't know what's over there uh, because we want to leave it open for ourselves and for people who are coming to the game with their own ideas. Yeah. Um, but, er, you know, cities are where you buy things. You, you, adventuring in the jungle is, is all well and good, but you start to have credits that you want to spend. And that's where you can get cool augmentations and, you know, yeah. giant laser swords, plasma weapons, that kind of thing. Yeah, and we have a, a lot of cool rules elements um, to tie back to those flavor things. It's not just stuff that you're describing. They're, these are baked into the game that allow you to play these types of things. And that leads us into the transition uh, into a little bit of rules discussion about uh, what sorts of mechanics the game allows you uh, to use and uh, customize your characters and make your adventures uh, really unique and dynamic. Um, and so, Joe, being our rules lead, <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about uh, the core chassis of the game and how it works, how you build a character? I would love to right now. Seems like a good time. Um, so you start out by picking your species, which, as I said, there's a hundred. You know, taking all the organized play stuff and our adventure paths. But in the core book, there are seven to pick from, or which are pictured on. That's the cover of the core book there. So, um, we have the Vesk, the warlike lizard race, and then the humans, of course. Got to have those androids and Yasoki, are a rat folk, uh, and a few others. There's the four-armed Kasathans and who else am I forgetting? Uh, well, the Lushunta. <laughs> oh, the Lushunta we talked about. Um, and you also have class, your class, your job. We, we're familiar with this if you've played role-playing games. If you're not, it's uh, are you a soldier? Uh, are you a spellcaster of some kind? We have a couple kinds. We have the sort of technomancer. The technomancer is its name. <laughs> it's not sort of a technomancer. Uh, but they they hack spell code and, and cast magic spells that interact with technology really heavily. Or you might be a mystic that has some connection to a mysterious force, and that's where you draw your magic from. Uh, there's also mechanics and uh, <laughs> envoys, which are kind of space bards, for lack of a better <laughs> term. Yeah, yeah. But they have their own unique mechanics for encouraging their party members and helping them recover from tough battles. And of course, you know, talking their way out of battles if possible. 
Uh, and then you also have a theme, which is a kind of cool third part of your character that describes their background a little bit. Like, where did they come from? Um, are you a mercenary? Are you? Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to. I'm trying to think of just the core rulebook ones because yeah. we have so many. Because yeah. this is something we've built on over the course. This game's been out two years now, released two years ago here at Gen Con, uh, and we've just added so many themes and archetypes and things you can kind of plug onto your character and make them really whatever you want to be. So even in the core rulebook, you're talking about. So I think there's ten themes and seven classes and seven species. So even just the core book has a bunch of combinations of characters just from the mechanics alone. Yeah. Erickson, do you want to talk a little bit about organized play and sort of uh, the rules and lack of table variance and how that it contributes to having a, a really fun Starfinder introduction experience? Yeah, uh, so with the, the organized play, uh, if you're here at Gen Con, you'll see the big old Sagamore ballroom right next door that has a lot of people playing, and they're all participating in our organized play campaign. And for, for Starfinder, um, like Joe said, we launched it two years ago here, and it is a way for anyone to show up and get a table anywhere in the world. And you can take a character, and you can bring that character from game to game to game. If you travel a lot, if you go to conventions, you can always bring that character with you. And it follows, much like Joe just described, a lot of the, the core rule book. This is how you build your character. But then we add on some, some minor additional rules that talk about how you would level up that character in a, in a more organized environment. So you play through pre-written scenarios that we, we publish monthly. We publish two scenarios monthly. And you can then go to your friendly local game shop. You can run it at your home. You can go to a convention, anywhere that's offering these society scenarios. And you can play with a character, and your character can level up, your character can get cool treasure, all the fun things, uh, but it's done in a, in a way that makes it fair that you can bring that character to basically anywhere. So a lot of my good friends I've met through organized play, um, and sometimes we maybe get at a table once a year because we meet each other up at a convention, and that is really cool just because you're meeting these people and you're sharing stories with characters that you might not play all the time, you might play a ton, but there's a, a framework that lets you do that that's not like, oh, I'm going to open up the core rulebook and make my 20th level soldier with a power chainsaw gun. <laughs> like, there are, so, there are some rules that keep it fair for everyone as well. True. And they're pre-generated characters, too. If you yeah. just want to check it out, we have characters we can provide you at various levels that you can just try out some of the cool classes. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And um, those rules elements that Joe had mentioned before, uh, your uh, race, your class, your theme, those really allow a lot of customizable options so that you can create. You can come up with a concept of a character, and there's a good chance that the mechanics allow you to build that character. And Starfinder is very much centered around uh, you you playing the type of character that you want and not having to worry so much about party composition or you know being able to perform a certain way in combat. The rules are uh, very versatile. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about just the types of different characters uh, that you can play in Starfinder, whether that's your favorite characters in your home games or some cool characters you heard about in organized play. Um, or, you know, just ideas that you have, Sarah, you know, when you're ordering uh, art for what is a really cool-looking Starfinder character. What's a what's something that sticks out in your mind? Um, well, a lot of, um, I like the creatures that you guys come up with. Mm. Um, some of them are really cool, and some of them I'm just kind of like, well, let's 
of something better. <laughs> <laughs> and then we do. Yeah, and then we do. Um, because, you know, space is like infinite, and you can come up mm -hmm. with anything that you want, and I yeah. feel like sometimes it was like um, kind of a last-minute monster that you guys came up with. So it's just like... <laughs> called out. Yeah. It's a rolling ball with a triangle on top yeah. of it. At let's get like, art. At least put, like, <laughs> another arm on there or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. But yeah, Wait, two mean, blink pages that need yeah. to be filled. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like I said, all of the art that we've been ordering for Starfinder has been an absolute joy for me to mm -hmm. order because it's always new and um, very colorful, very different from from Pathfinder, and want to keep that difference. Yeah, we we're lucky that we don't have the limited budgets of you know older sci-fi shows where everyone kind of has to be human shaped and like yeah. just some ridges somewhere or like yeah. <laughs> different Prosthetic ears or, nose or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, paint them. Blue. But nonetheless, we're all inspired by a lot of that stuff, so it ends up in there sometimes. But yeah, we just throw extra limbs and and there's <laughs> antennas. Yep, and there is there is a, a creature that's a, a playable creature that's a ball with a triangle. On top. Yep, <laughs> it's called a bantrid. It rolls around. They just woke up on a moon in our solar system a little while ago and don't know why. And it smells really bad there, but they have no sense of smell, so it's okay. So it's totally fine. Oh yeah, I have a home game in which every single character is an invertebrate, and we actually aren't representing every race that's an invertebrate race. We just happen to want to be weird, gross, squishy things, and it's really fun. And you know what? Yeah. That's what Starfinder is about. Yeah. Thursday, do you have a, a cool uh, organized play character or that you've played or that you've had a friend play that you just it surprised you and was unique? You know, I have found that there is endless depth to the pre-generated character Obozai. Oh, <laughs> um, yes. Please tell the story. Who, who <laughs> was on that image earlier. Who was on that image. Soldier, yeah. That was our, our female Vesk soldier who's got a big, big stick that then ends with like three powered... Projectiles that she uses to to stab. There we go. The Doshko. Look, oh, yeah. look yeah, at that. Look at that lovely yeah. weapon. We call um, it fire axe, even though it doesn't actually do yeah, fire damage. Yeah. <laughs> and and see, one of the things that happened when I came on the team and really got involved with Starfinder, I was very much told like this is going to be a game about guns. And don't get me wrong, it's it is a game about guns. But I have seen more people die to that fire axe <laughs> than I've ever seen die into a gun. Um, but. Obozai has been one of those characters who like shows up at our tables a lot because, like Joe mentioned, we have the, the pre-generated characters available over there, so people want to just kind of get in like, here's a big lizard person. They often choose that. Um, and when they start playing that big lizard person, they're like, wow, I could like murder things real good with this fire axe. And then we get like a lot of really good stories from that. So so it's one of those, I, I always love seeing when people have that pre-gen at a table and I'm like, ooh, you're going to do something good with that. So. Something cool about Starfinder is even, you know, you want to be a soldier, you can be many different kinds of soldier. Um, you yeah. pick a primary fighting style, for example, when you pick a soldier class. And so one is hit things with a big yep. melee thing. Uh, the other is be good at shooting. The other is be good at lobbing grenades, because there are grenades in this game. Yep. Yep. And uh, there are lots of kinds of grenades, yep. including we just added the uh, Grenade of Wonder, which has a randomized table of effects when you yes. throw it. Uh, so you never know quite what's going to happen, but it's a lot of fun. I feel like it's that's probably not the... going to work out for you, honestly. But... I mean, you never know. If you're creative and what happens when you know yeah, the true. world explodes around you, then it's totally fine. When you phase some people when you phase uh, some the people plane for a few rounds. Yeah. I, right. I had a player who got swallowed by a plant and had a Grenade of Wonder and just pulled the pin was like, well, I'm inside it now. What's the worst? Like, it reversed gravity. So then the, the plant flew up on the roof and they couldn't get him out. I feel like that's the Didn't legacy. Didn't work out for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, but it's still fun. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fun and unpredictable. Yeah. And so that's just, again, one type of soldier who focuses on grenades. It can also be an arcane assailant that enchants your weapon with magic and 
does all kinds of cool stuff. So then that's just one class. So and all the classes have these like different paths that you can choose, kind of more specifically what you're interested in. That one. So uh, another uh, aspect of Starfinder that we haven't even touched yet is uh, Starship Combat. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, an entirely, it can be a standalone system uh, that takes place on a hex grid, uh, grid map that is uh, Starship to Starship Combat. And uh, it's a kind of a little pawns game and you can move your starships around and there's a whole uh, system of rounds of things that happen. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, just the rules mechanically of how that works? Yeah, there's three phases. Um, when any when any time your party gets on a starship, you pick your role. So you have a captain. You can have one captain only. Um, you can have as many gunners as you want. <laughs> uh, there's also engineering and all the, the things you'd expect from watching shows like Star Trek, that kind of thing. Um, so everyone has a role. And uh, the reason you pick when you get on the, sh on the ship is you don't know whether there's going to be a starship combat, of course. But there often is if you're playing one of our adventures. And... Then it breaks into phases where the captain can act first, and the captain can encourage anybody on the crew, give them a little bonus to their roles. Um, there's the pilot, of course. That's one of the, that's I feel like the most fought over <laughs> role on the ship. Everyone's like, I'm good at piloting, so am I. <laughs> and, then, um, and we've also in character operations manual, which is a book that hasn't come out yet. I know this is Starfinder 101, but we'll sneak in some 201. Yeah. Uh, we've added more uh, roles for for magic users to participate in combat and in starship combat specifically. Uh, and do cool things that way. But yeah, it's, a, it's just a three-phase system where you just go through rounds and the positioning and the facing of your ships matters on the hex grid and you have range on your weapons, you have different kinds of weapons. Um, there's, there's missiles, so you can have missiles that you shoot and they fly on their own and try to impact. But it's all about outmaneuvering, getting you know out of the arc of the weapons of your opponents and, yeah. and trying to get where they don't have any guns to shoot you back. And there are lots of stat blocks of different starships that exist in the setting yeah. um, that can be used you know, as the game master. And you also, as your party, you can build your own starship. So mm -hmm. you can decide yep. what you want on your ship, how you want to upgrade it, what sorts of, do you want a medical bay in it? Um, you know, do you want to uh, be focused? Do you want to have some leisure time? Do you want to have a place for leisure area? That sort of thing. Uh, it's very customizable in what your party uh, is interested in doing. And in organized play, I believe you do at least one starship and counter right in each scenario for the most part oh no 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 uh we aim for about one in every four scenarios. one in every four okay yeah. one in every four we aim to to have a starship combat encounter because yeah like starship combat isn't necessarily for for everyone and some people just want to you know have their characters partake in like a heist and then that frees us up narratively not to like have a starship encounter that like all right this scenario is about a bank heist we also need you to blow up an enemy starship for a reason um we we, we tried we try to work in starships where they make a lot of sense. Um, but for organized play, going back to that sort of more streamlined approach where everyone's sort of playing the same game, what we do for starships is we present uh, two different um, basically hull types hmm. that you pick from when you're doing a starship combat encounter. They're called the, the Drake and the Pegasus. They're two Starfinder Society ships. and that Those are the ships that the organization you're assumed to work for provide you. Uh, and then we have like other ones you can get from playing scenarios or going to conventions, all that sort of stuff that you can like get a cool like chronicle sheet. Those are those like pieces of paper you see people going on about over in that Sagamore ballroom. Um, and it might have like a new starship on it that you can use. And that can be something that you can show up to a table and be like, so I know we could play with this starship that's, you know, our tried and true, you know, science vessel. But I do have this dead space whale corpse that we could fly in. 
And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I wrote that one. <laughs> I was excited about that. That's true. Um, all right, so uh, in all of these things that we're talking about that the game allows you to do, uh, Starship Combat, um, the, making different types of characters, having all kinds of different adventures on different types of worlds, uh, really leads to uh, lots of diverse hazards and, and lots of options for adventure writers to put into adventures, but also for game masters uh, to pick and pull and put into their game as they think it's fun and cool and to really spark your imagination based on whatever it is that inspires you, whether you know it's Firefly um, or uh, you know whether it's um, like Total Recall, more gritty uh, urban environments. There's all sorts of cool things you can do. Uh, and here we're uh, showing uh, Isef, who is our iconic operative, going through uh, what has been a, a triggered laser trap. And so there, there are tra traps in Starfinder in the same way that there are uh, in Pathfinder, but they're uh, much more sci-fi and, and futuristic. Um, do any of you have a cool story about a trap that isn't any? Yeah, you do. I do. <laughs> you should tell that I story. I should tell my story. <laughs> okay, I'm really proud of myself. So, <laughs> there is a trap in um, Dead Zones number three, uh, Splintered Worlds, that is in uh, a cultist base, an abandoned cultist base, that is in, in an asteroid. So this is a little bit of spoilers if you haven't played this, um, and so I won't give a lot of details about how you come across it, but it is essentially a corridor, and it is a laser grid wall that if you uh, step on a certain thing or you do a certain thing or you mess with the console and you don't do very well it triggers and it just sweeps up and it sweeps down and uh, it does a lot of damage to you because it's lasers uh, but if you roll uh, basically a natural one and then another natural one it, it, it will actually kill you and it is meant to uh, slice you up like uh, meat cubes and it's basically the Resident Evil trap if any of you have seen that and I've had three people in the course of the past like three months talk about how uh, you know they either took damage or they avoided or whatever so, so cinematic elements is a fun thing it's a fun thing for us as writers yeah. as well and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of play, especially with the skill system in Starfinder. Again, because we're set in the future, like Thirsty was saying, um, there, you can hack. Uh, you can set up a computer that has a countermeasure that's a shot grid. So if someone fails to hack it, it zaps them with electricity, yeah. shuts down, or just wipes all the data you're trying to get off of it. Um, yeah. There's a million. Like I could think of three different skills that ISIF could use here to get past this laser trap. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of options there too. Yeah, it's very versatile and it's very adaptable to the different types of characters that you might make um, in Starfinder. Uh, another cinematic thing is uh, the Starship Battles and Starship Combat, which we talked a, a little bit about, but um, anybody have uh, any interesting thoughts about uh, Starship Combat or ways to make that more cinematic as a GM or, or things that will interest new players to the game? I, I like breaking rules, because one of the cool things about a role-playing game is you can break rules. Like mm -hmm. With Starship Combat, it is very much a system that in the book explains, like, there's we, we don't quantify how long a starship combat round is or how far a hex is. And when you're running your games, um, feel empowered to, to make the decision for what's going to be right for your game at that moment. I've done tons of things just in home campaigns that I've run where I'll have a starship combat going on, but then there's sure something that's boarded the ship and is messing with them, and we have to, like, cut back and forth between, like, deal with the threat on the ship, okay, deal with the threat outside the ship that's shooting at the ship, and along with that, things like um, taking taking a hex map, I do a lot of roll 20 online, um, taking, like, just a an aerial map, and you can really change the flavor of something like Starship Combat, and you're like, yeah, this encounter's taking place in an atmosphere, and you're, like, flying through mountain ranges. One of the early scenario ideas I tried to pitch was okay 
we need a scenario where it is a starship fighting a dragon <laughs> because come on yeah we in scenarios will even add wrinkles like there's asteroids that yeah if, they ex if they're hit by a shot they yeah. explode and do damage to anything adjacent or yeah. we're always peppering new things in there and and it's what you said is really important that you know the main rule is to have fun with this however you and your other players want to have fun so with the core rulebook just provides you the tools and ideas for yeah for how to tell the stories you want to tell. Exactly. Just because something is not necessarily mentioned in the core rule doesn't mean that that's not a thing that you can use in your game. It just means use the chassis of the rule to figure out how that's resolved basically at the table when you want to put that in your game. Um, so uh, for those of you uh, here, let's actually do a show of hands. Who here is familiar with Pathfinders coming to us from Pathfinder? Awesome. Pretty much everybody. So you will recognize these guys right here as goblins, but in space. We have used, uh, there are a lot of familiar things that um, are, are there that you'll recognize from Pathfinder and goblins. Uh, are one of them. Sarah, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, how we updated the look of, of some of these different types of iconic creatures from Pathfinder and made them Starfinder? And specifically, how do the goblins get into those bubble helmets? <laughs> um, we have a few theories. Put them on the ground and they jump. <laughs> <laughs> head first, nice. They swan dive yeah. head first. <laughs> that, that tracks. Well, I don't think the noise. goblins really changed all that much um, because, you know, we wanted to add something familiar with from Pathfinder so people will recognize, you know, like, hey, this is kind of in the same genre. Um, but I think they're a little more mischievous, I guess, you know, because they, I, I don't know. I don't know what you, the backstory of the goblins are in Starfinder that much, so. Well, they, they stowed away and yeah. uh, have, it's kind of spread all over the place. They really infest Absalom Station primarily. Uh, they can be found every, anywhere. You can also play one. Yeah. Uh, we started that, not Pathfinder. Yeah, that's, that's what we did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you can be a heroic space goblin ripping out <laughs> wires from things. But I think the main focus of keeping the goblins, you know, kind of scary. <laughs> scary but cute. Mm -hmm. Scary but cute. <laughs> That's right. You might be running away screaming, but you're thinking, oh, that's oh, I adorable. <laughs> I kind of want to give him a hug. Just don't let his teeth near me. Oh, so we have, we, so we have some recognizable things in Pathfinder. Um, and we also wanted to specifically move into the future and give you some new allies to work with. So there are lots of things in the setting that supports uh, this goal that we have. Uh, including, uh, we have uh, here the Kasatha. Um, do you guys want to talk anything about Kasatha and how, how meeting them is an important part of the setting? Sure, they, uh, they're the four-armed race I was talking about earlier, and they showed up in a world ship because um, they heard there was a good spot to settle, but there were already a lot of people living there by the time they showed up. Fortunately, things worked out, uh, and they're, they're just now in orbit in their world ship, and they're part of the Pact Worlds. This, this solar system is called the Pact Worlds, because it used to be called the Galarian system, uh, but then the Vesk showed up, <laughs> which the lizard folk we've talked about, and they are from a super warlike empire, and they wanted to conquer the Galarian system at first. But then <laughs> the swarm showed up. <laughs> Those are lots of uh, bugs. And that's many, many bugs uh, of all kinds, all real gross. Uh, and a huge threat that the Vesk and... Well, sorry, so the Pact Worlds formed to fight off the Vesk, and then the Vesk joined the Pact yeah. Worlds to fight off the Swarm, and that's where we're at now. We have it's an upcoming adventure path yeah, yeah. called Attack of the Swarm, where you really get to get on the front lines of that conflict. Um, but there's also uh, the Sheeran is one of the playable species in the Coral mm -hmm. Book. They're bug folk uh, who are, love choice. They love making choice, because they broke off from the Swarm uh, some time ago. We haven't said exactly when yet, but we are soon. Uh, and they came to the Pact Worlds, and they've really loved it here. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, all right, so y'all are coming to us from Pathfinder, so you will be familiar with the Weeby Goblin series of adventures for Free RPG Day. Uh, our version of that, in which we uh, wanted to give it a specific Starfinder feel, uh, is the Skitter series. We've got Skitter Shot, which was our Free RPG, RPG Day adventure last year, and we've got Skitter Crash, which is our new one that just came out in June of this year. And you play four very friendly, very helpful Skitter Manners. Mm-hmm. And you can play an organized play, and it's an introduction to the tone of Starfinder um, that it's a little bit uh, a little bit more fun, a little bit more lighthearted uh, as far as these adventures go. And uh, you actually end up with your own ship, which is what you see here. This is the cover of Skitter Crash. Uh, Thirsty, at this point, you've seen a lot of people play Skitter Crash and organized play. I sure have. Yeah, what are what are some cool things about this for that environment? Uh, so for, for that environment, it's a great recruiting tool. Um, as, as Amanda said, this was our free RPG for day product. So you can get the, get the core rulebook and then pick this up online for free, and you can just immediately run something that has everything you really need to run it in that here's the adventure, and here's all the character sheets for each of those those lovely little skittermanders. Um, and it really is an adventure that emphasizes teamwork and helping, helping a lot, <laughs> being really helpful. Um, and, and, and But that's just kind of how like skittermanders are, and they're sort of this like, Overt force for good, whether you want their help or not. Um, and so we get a lot of people who play this 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 game and, well, this adventure, I should say, and they really get into it and it gets a lot of people really excited and it can be a really powerful thing in a store when you see, like, six people who are playing cute little furry skittermanders and they're all like, yes, friends, yay! And they're all, like, shouting and people are like, what's this game about? <laughs> oh, wow, this looks pretty cool. And it, yeah. g- it generates a lot of buzz. And for organized play specifically, why um, Skitter, um, Skitter Shot, the first one, was uh, important is that it was our kind of gateway to let people actually play skittermanders in our campaign. And uh, if that sounds terrible to you, <laughs> then you can be a Vesk because the Vesk uh, Skittermanders are from the Vescarium, which is the Vesk, the lizard folks, uh, solar system. And they came to conquer the Skittermanders, and the Skittermanders were like, okay, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> they just like stayed out of the way and were like, whatever, we'll keep doing what Cool, we're guess like. we're conquered now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the the uh, Vesk yeah. were like, do not resist. Yep. And they were like, we weren't trying. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, but we can help you with that. And they're yeah. like, no, stop it, put that down. So it's a. Uh, now they're like. <laughs> Bureaucrats and administrators. Funny how that works. They help a lot. (laughs) They do help a lot. Um, Okay, so we have talked a lot about the different elements of Starfinder and what you can uh, expect from the game. Uh, We want to run through a few entry points into the game that we've kind of already mentioned in passing here, but to be specific about it, and then we'll open it up to your questions. Um, So we alluded to and mentioned that we have a beginner box uh, that we have here at the show that came out in April, and this is a a very introductory level product that is meant for people who don't have a lot of experience uh, with Starfinder specifically, but also with role-playing in general. It's very geared toward uh, learning and teaching and acquiring the skills to play this game, and, and it's a pared-down, simplified version um, of that. And uh, so we have also got Starfinder Society, which uh, Thurston is running for us, which he has explained in very good detail about uh, the opportunities to play worldwide with folks who are interested in the same game that you are. We also have on Paizo.com play-by-post uh, games that are organized play in some cases, or just home games where you can go on uh, 
uh, on there and post that you want to run something or look for a game that someone else is running and pretty much uh, get a group kind of no matter where you live. So that's very useful for folks who don't have like a game store very close to them uh, or maybe uh, just don't sort of have the time to, to sit and play four or five hour chunks, but they just want to make a post or two every night. There are also lots of demos and games being run at various conventions, just like this one. Uh, we've uh, run demonstrations at conventions literally all over the world, so uh, anywhere that Paizo it has a presence at, the conven at conventions, there's a good chance that there's some sort of Starfinder demo that you can go check out. So, um, who has got questions for us? One, one more resource okay. is the sfrd.info uh, is the system resource document, which Everything's online for free. It doesn't have the cool art uh, and not nice layout and everything. Uh, but just if you're interested in checking it out, you know, I I always promote that because yeah, it's good call. there's a ton of cool information there. And uh, Skitter Shot is actually on sale too for like five dollars. Like the PDF is free, but you can get it in the booth for five, or you can just go look at it um, there too. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> If my group's ready for a sci-fi game, there are, there's plenty of us, plenty of other games in the market like Shadowrun, Star Wars, Firefly. What sales pitch going to give them to say, "Hey, let's try Starfinder"? So I think that you could um, you could explain to them that it is going to be something that they're not. They're not, they're not necessarily going to be familiar with it unless they're very familiar with Pathfinder, in which case they can carry that information um, and that fandom kind of forward. So Star Trek existing in a long-running IP, right, that um, it has got very sort of strict elements of what types of stories you can and can't tell, um, which can be a wonderful thing, but if you want to go outside of that, then Starfinder has a lot of options that you might not be able to find elsewhere. Um, Shadowrun, ag again, is going to be more of your cyberpunk, your urban-based hacking things, which is something that you can do in Starfinder, but you can add those elements into a different type of campaign uh, and still have the rules uh, work. So really, I mean... It's going to be a combination of uh, explaining to them what the campaign setting is like versus how versatile the rules are, um, and just really kind of talking through to see that that's the right thing for your group. Hello. Hi. So from a mechanics standpoint, how different is Starfinder from base Pathfinder and now, I guess, Pathfinder 2nd Edition? What are like the core differences between? Gosh, it's been a while since I thought about that <laughs> two years ago. Uh, it's it's simpler than PF1. Um, the the design team that created P, uh, Pathfinder Second Edition did a lot of design work on Starfinder, um, and they sort of the systems sort of have been leapfrogging each other, uh, learning from each other since. Um, the action simple is action system is simplified. Uh, gosh. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the action system is simplified. The um, like. How, how you get your hit points and stamina points, there's a change there, but you can kind of recognize, like, okay, I have a pool of, like, points that I'm subtracting from until I die. Um, th there's, there's a lot of uh, very, like, core concepts in Pathfinder 1st Edition that translated over into Starfinder, and most people who pick up a character sheet who've played Pathfinder 1st Edition can read it and go, oh yeah, I, I, I grok all of these things on this, though there might be a few tweaks to simplify or just, like, how leveling up works is, is, is a very, like, described process. Uh, one of the things that is noted in the cool rulebook that is, I think, 
our best design decision ever for Starfinder is just how simple it is to create creatures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, if you need to throw a baddie into a game that you're running, we provide you tables. And it's like, okay, this this baddie needs to be this challenge rating. Here's roughly how much bonus it should be getting to hit, roughly how many hit points it should have. And we just spell that out so that GMs who want to just make up something on the fly can do it. And I think that's a, a big strength and a change from people Pathfinder 1, which was very much like here is a meticulous way you have to go and build a creature that often scared people from making new and unique things, whereas in Starfinder we really wanted to, to yeah. showcase that. Mm-hmm. I like to generally characterize it as um, Starfinder has a Pathfinder 1 chassis on it, but we have added um, we have added subsystems and made changes to the rules to make it more appropriate for a science fantasy setting. So uh, Thirsty mentioned stamina points. That's uh, a pool of points that you lose before you lose your hit points, and they're much more easy. They're much easier to uh, replenish and get them back. You don't necessarily need like magical healing to get them back. Um, that is something that we thought was very important because uh, in space you don't necessarily have time to just like rest for eight hours to start getting your hit points back, or you don't have a bunch of magical healing because magic isn't as big of a deal um, in the far future in Starfinder. And so uh, so that is one of the ways that we accomplish that goal. Um, we also have resolve points, which is that pool of points that you spend until you die, uh, which is the same sort of thing that you don't necessarily need a cleric to keep all of your um, all of your party members alive. So it is very recognizable, but it's got uh, elements to it that are specifically um, going to facilitate you playing the types of games that we're wanting to, to put forward for the fans. And, and resolve points are another sort of generalizable resource that uh, any class will have the option to use to do cool things at later levels especially. Yeah. Just to simplify all the points pools. Hi, Lauren. So we have a Twitch question from Stunt Monkey for Thirsty. Uh-oh. Can we have Skitter Goblins, please? <laughs> yeah, okay. So so you may <laughs> see our volunteers uh, next door who have these lovely new shirts that are these green combinations of skittermanders and goblins, which I'm sure Sarah can talk way more about as far as how awesome they are. But yes, uh, we've had a lot of requests to make this horrible amalgam of cuteness and terror playable. And maybe, eh, maybe. 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 There we go. Cool. What a time to be alive. Uh, What I wanted to ask was, when you're writing adventures, uh, You've mentioned that you can be many different things. A big part of this game is the dynamic options of what you can play. You can play a pop star, you can play an operative, you can play a soldier, uh, etc. Do the different adventures, uh, do they largely say, well, you want a balanced party? Or is there some adventures that are more like, this is the pop star adventure, and some that are like, this is best for a bunch of secret agents? That kind of thing? I'm just curious as to... Uh, if it's uh, targeted or if it's usually generalized, I guess. Uh, I'd say the, the adventures we publish, I, some of the scenarios you can speak to more, they will, certain combinations, certain characters will shine potentially, but especially for the adventure paths, uh, they have a sort of theme going. So, like, the Signal of Screams is very horror. Uh, Sundivers, sorry, I call it that. That's just yeah. Donna the Flame. Sundivers yeah. Adventure yeah. Path. You know. Written by Joe yeah, Cassini. No, no, no. <laughs> so, mostly not. Um, the Donna Flame uh, is kind of 
obviously about the sun, but also the plane of fire spoilers and some other stuff. But any character could thrive, and and you can have parties that would seem imbalanced in other games. Like you don't you don't need a healer. You don't need uh, everyone can be kind of self sufficient in this game. And and like I said, every class has so many different paths that you can have a table of soldiers that's all doing different things, or even operatives that that are all play different slightly differently or sometimes radically differently. Um, so. We definitely we definitely try to keep the adventures you know applicable to anyone who any party composition that wants to play. But. Yeah, and and for society, as I said, we're we're a bit different in that we release two adventures every month, um, and so we have a bit more wiggle room in terms of like themes and tropes we can explore. So. Do we have a scenario that is, yeah, you're going to a sugar pop concert? We sure do, and that was that's a very popular scenario. Mm -hmm. But what I've often found with those type of um, kind of specialty or very like very tropey scenarios is oftentimes the party you think would be awful at it has the best stories. Like <laughs> we're gonna do like a super like serious reality tv where it's like take your dungeon crawl but you have a camera crew that is following you through the dungeon and doing things like getting in the way of your attacks because they need to get the right angles for their <laughs> camera as you're going through this adventure also the camera crew's undead so that makes it even better um but i have some memorable games of running or playing through that scenario where it's like okay we're not going to be all like icons who want to like hog the stage like we're all going to be Obozaya. we're all going to be best <laughs> soldiers who are just like and we murder things it's what we're good at like that that and that is is super fun to see what else do we have we have another question from twitch this one from apothex what is the most effective way to manage and use the rules reference card set that just released so they can be quickly accessed and used to their fullest capability i can't wait to find out <laughs> Rob McCurry, our creative director, worked really hard on those, uh, and yeah, I, <laughs> I wish yeah. we were here to talk about it more. It was definitely a challenge to get 500-page really core rulebook onto a deck of 110 yeah. cards. <laughs> yeah, he went to the team, um, and we talked at length about what types of things to include on the mm -hmm. cards, and we uh, looked at different systems, and a lot of it was a, lot of it was a math game of, mm -hmm. is the... Is, is the space that is on this card big enough for us to boil down the essence of what we need people to know about mm -hmm. the things? And in some cases, that answer was yes, and in other cases, it was a more of a debate on whether we thought we could actually um, pare it down. But I know it's got a lot of the major systems, mm -hmm. ma major rule systems uh, on those uh, rules cards. So really, my suggestion for that would be to go through the actual deck uh, anticipate or think about what adventure it is that you're running and what you think you might need and kind of just lay, lay them out so that way they're uh, already at hand. Yeah, making a part of prep makes good sense and some are going to be more applicable to players. You might have them ready for players. Yeah, yeah. Others, the person who's running the game yeah. uh, would, would only need and no one else really would. Yeah. In the same way that you have condition cards and a lot of uh, GMs will uh, look at their stat blocks for their encounters that they're running and see you know, that there are monsters that are going to be imposing certain types of conditions that they'll pull out those cards and then when that happens they'll immediately just be able to be like, you know, boom, you're staggered or whatever the condition is. And that's super helpful as a player but also as a GM because you get to really quickly look at that condition too so you can remind yourself what it does. Yeah. 
Space whales? Question mark. <laughs> Space whales, thirsty. Yeah, yeah. So I think Joe Joe said he he wrote that, right, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Joe. I mean, I picked it up from uh, this was a Pathfinder creature, the Oma, which means yeah. grandmother in German. Unrelatedly, I just like to point that out. <laughs> yeah. uh, and when I was writing their entry for Alien Archive, the sort of bestiary for Starfinder, the first one, uh, you know, most something we do diff- slightly differently in Starfinder is the Alien Archive entries. We like to give two pages per monster alien and then usually have some kind of rules element so it might be that you can play them as a species or it might be that often it's something made of their skin yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. they're not sentient or armor upgrades or, yeah. or weapons that like we have a, a sonic clawed dinosaur and people make signs uh, that mimic its attacks but for the oma i was like well we have all these frames you can build starships out of like and Oma used to be used as starships in the past, living starships. Uh, and I thought it would be cool to make their corpses. I oh, kind of, ship. as I'm saying it out loud, I'm realizing it sounds a little, sounds a little morbid. But uh, uh, oh well, <laughs> it's out there. <laughs> and so yeah, you can you can uh, fly around in the carcass of a space whale if you want. But they die of natural causes, and it's a beautiful thing. And there's like a song and everything. You can read all about it. Uh, it's very the one that I made it's for organized play. Uh, spouts out advertisements at its foes and is basically a giant reality TV like media mogul's <laughs> personal ship. So, yeah, you can use any tool for good or evil. Exactly. Lots of options. I think this is a good time to point out that uh, here at the show um, and also on Paizo.com, we've got uh, the Starfinder Core rulebook, we've got Alien Archive 1, Alien Archive 2, Pact Worlds, and Armory are hardcovers, and uh, we have Alien Archive 3 coming out next month. So uh, there's a, f- a fair catalog of stuff uh, to buy, if, and if you're just wanting to get started, uh, the Core rulebook in the in the first Alien Archive is a good way to start. Or the beginner or box. Or the beginner box. Yes. And you're just flipping through the Pact Worlds book, because it's... I, I love PDFs and use them often. Flipping through the book is so different for some reason. Like, mm-hmm. even when we get them in the office for the first time, it's like, wow, this is, yeah. looks real for some reason. Yeah. Uh, so The Pact Worlds is a great book that's downstairs. Uh, you can just flip through, and it's got a ton of setting stuff, um, which, of course, you can adapt as you like. And uh, Armory is just a huge equipment book with tons and tons of equipment, like massive amounts of web. That's where the grenade, the wonder grenade is, and yep. all kinds of augmentations, new kinds of augmentations. You can have undead pieces if you want. Yep. Uh, there's some weird stuff in Starfinder. Yeah. And there's, That's why I like it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in Armory that comes from the back matter of different adventure paths as mm-hmm. well. So uh, if you're worried about, oh, you know, I, I didn't subscribe until a certain time or I don't have these issues, um, all of that stuff is going to be collected uh, in the Armory up until that point. We have another question. So I guess uh, coming from a place of being a person that really likes high fantasy, but also really likes sci-fi and not really being able to find a good place to mesh those kind of things, will I get a lot of satisfaction from high fantasy liking in this as well as space, or does this kind of go more toward like space and low tech fan or low sci or sorry low fantasy and more tech? There's just everything kind of in here. Um, in, even in the core rule book, we have a legacy chapter, and that has rules for creating characters that are a dwarf, an elf, half half, half elf, wow, <laughs> halfling, yeah. gnome, um, so the ones you'd expect. And uh, just depending on what planet you're on, you know, Traxxas is, is it Traxxas that's the dragon planet? That's I Traxxas. always say versus. Yep. Yep. The Traxxas. one time I didn't yep. get it right. Dragon yeah. and furry elves. Yeah, so <laughs> um, there's tons of dragons. Uh, they just run corporations now. So yeah. uh, that's, you know, that's not necessarily sci- science 
well, okay, it's, it's, it's science fiction, but you know, uh, I'd say that's not low fantasy necessarily. And then it's just about the group you're playing with and how much they want to put that in. Because like again, I've run whole campaigns that are on like one planet, um, and that could very well be a high fantasy planet. So. And a, and a term we throw around a lot is science fantasy. Yeah. Uh, for for what it is, because we have like we have space wizards, we have you know people who are casting magic and have a connection to a deity. So mm-hmm. you have your like quintessential cleric like roles. But yeah, maybe you're gonna have the encounter where you're flying in your starship and you're shooting at a dragon, and then you're gonna get out of your starship once you've chased it into a mountain and you're gonna go kill it. Like yeah. there, there there are those like absolute fantasy style moments that can come from the game, and it also comes down to your GM and the, the stories that you're looking to tell. Yeah, we still have characters who fight with swords. You've seen the bossy mm-hmm. up there on the core rulebook. She has a, a very recognizable sword. Dragons are still a thing. Some of them have cybernetics installed in them at mm-hmm. this point. Some of them are are all or partially robots. Um, so. We still have a lot of those uh, very recognizable tropes from the the history and the background of fantasy that has just kind of been tweaked and is a little more genre for for sci-fi and fantasy. And we do have you know angels and devils and, yep. and those kinds of things yeah. too. So. so, as someone who's played Shadowrun before, is mm-hmm. there any equivalence to the Astral Realm or the Matrix? Oh well, there is the Astral Realm. I mean, that's part of the cosmology, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not so much the Matrix. So yeah, we haven't explored other planes much, uh, except for there's a new one that is used for faster-than-light travel yes. called the Drift, mm-hmm. and it's only accessible by technology that a new god, a new tripartite uh, AI god, sent out this signal to everyone saying, here's how to build an engine that lets you get into this plane and then pop out somewhere much, much farther away than you would normally be able to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not familiar. <laughs> yeah, one of the cool things about the drift is that uh, the more that it's used, the more that it has the, the chance to pull in pieces of other planes into it. And so when you're going through the drift, there's a chance that you might encounter a tiny little pocket of hell. There might be uh, you know, a little asteroid with a bunch of devils on it, uh, or the abyss with a bunch of demons, you're or heaven all the bad or nirvana. Planes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there or we go. heaven or nirvana, yeah. but you know, oh, yeah. the abyss are cooler. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so there's a lot of uh, neat things that you can do narratively uh, with that. Um, Shadow Plane is another big one that we've explored a lot um, through the horror adventure path that Joe had mentioned. But we haven't done a lot with some of the, the other planes. Um, I'm a horrible lore junkie, so it seems like so far, reading the core book and the pack worlds, it's a lot of teases of here's stuff that something's happening and we don't know what's happening yet. Uh, are there plans to expand on that? Or just explore some of those things rather than like, hey, GMs, go make up a story for this. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, so the Coral book talked about the sun a little bit, right? And then in the Dawn of Flame adventure path, you go there and you, and you explore specific bubble cities in the sun and learn a lot more about the places that are there. And that's just an adventure written for you, right? Um, but the Pact World itself took a lot of stuff that was in the Coral book and expanded on it, right? Like the, what, two-page entries on mm. planets became six or ten-page entries on each planet so but yeah. something yeah. yeah so so as we go forward we we just keep expanding zooming in on certain aspects and then we use those for our, we use a lot of that stuff for our adventures yeah. where we get really specific but you know it's a, we do want to maintain sort of the idea that you get to expand on it how you want to and we're seeding those adventure hooks so that they can go in multiple directions um yeah 
We're definitely strategically focused on expanding parts of the campaign setting, um, whether it's for an adventure path because the GMs need to know more about the background of the place, or you know, it's a, a part of the campaign setting that we specifically want to uh, open up and be able to tell more stories in other future adventure paths. There are other announcements coming soon about some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, we definitely have plans to continue to expand. Mm -hmm. Hello. So I know whenever it comes to role-playing games, there's a lot of focus on the early levels because that's where most games start. What does late game, like late high-level play look like for Starfinder? Pretty crazy, actually. <laughs> I was about to say, uh, ridiculous? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, for, for, from my standpoint, when we're designing scenarios, I mean, you can just... Have and again because the the creature creation system is very robust in in Starfinder, you can just throw something to the wall and be like, "All right, now we're fighting the the herald of a god," and like we we have done that. Um, but and once you hit higher level, there's also not not as much of uh, the 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 bloat that other systems has had. Like when you you hit high level, you're still very much doing a lot of what you're doing at low levels is just a lot of those numbers are getting bumped up. Uh, you're getting some special abilities that are really going to let you change the dynamic of battles and just even like high-level play can take a lot of forms. We, we sh showed traps, like high-level traps can, like regular traps in Starfinder are deadly. High-level traps are like, ooh, do, don't fail this, or ooh. Um, bad things will happen. Bad, bad <laughs> things will happen. Um, but that can like also go into like a social campaign, too. You could have a super high-level social campaign where maybe you're like negotiating for the fates of planets. Like, and it, I think it scales really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and coming off of that, uh, the creature creation system for, for uh, adversaries... Uh, it is much sim more simplified. You don't need to pick all their spells for like a CR20 creature. You don't need to go all the way back down. It's just what are their most powerful things? This is how often they can use them and you're good. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've got about five minutes left in the hour. Do we want to take one more question before we wrap up today? Only Any one out questions? of all of these? You don't I don't any? know. Good. All right. <laughs> Anybody else have anything for us? If not... Comments, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate your time. And uh, come see us down uh, at the Paizo booth. We've got all uh, most of our Starfinder stuff out there uh, yep. today. And uh, hopefully we will throughout the weekends. Um, or feel free to come up and talk to us, uh, whatever it is that you want. We're protected by the wall of Pathfinder 2nd Edition. <laughs> yes. Right behind that. <laughs> yes. We're holding a vanguard up yes. behind the wall of Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Oh, yeah, see what I did there? <laughs> no, you don't want a witch war Pathfinder 2nd Edition. <laughs> but it'll end up in another dimension. <laughs> Thanks All right, awesome. thank you Thanks. guys very much for your time. Hello, uh, welcome back. I'm Vanessa Hoskins. I've got Amanda Hammond with me. And Amanda, what are you most excited about in the upcoming year for Starfinder releases that you're allowed to talk about? Oh, sure. Well, of course, that's always a caveat. So um, in uh, November of this year, we have a book coming out called the Character Operations Manual. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is going to be similar to an advanced player's guide type of book for the Starfinder role-playing mm -hmm. game in that we are expanding the game's uh, core classes sure. uh, and a whole bunch of other class options and other rules elements uh, will be added to the game through that book. So it's 160 pages of lots and lots of cool new toys for your characters. And of those three new classes, uh, I will name them here. We've got the biohacker, 
uh, who is a buffer debuffer class um, mm -hmm. that is going to be harming your enemies or uh, destabilizing them or boosting your allies. You can be a healer, uh, you know, or you can uh, just plink away at the bad guys and mess them up a little bit. Uh, we've got the Vanguard, uh, which is a class we're very excited about. That is a tank type of class mm -hmm. that harnesses the power of entropy in the universe uh, mm -hmm. to absorb damage uh, and uh, just really be a good kind of frontline uh, damage soaker as well as being able to deal that damage out, uh, redirect that energy out yeah. to the bad guys. Um, I remember that in the playtest. Yeah, the yes. playtest was really fun to play. That is the one I am looking forward to most playing as soon as it comes out. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I've, I've got a Vanguard playtest character in the in, game that, in that we play. Yeah. Yeah, in Stellar, yeah. In actual play podcast. Yeah, and very effective, I might add. Oh, really, cool. really cool character. Yeah, they have changed. So those of you familiar with the playtest, um, the classes have changed a little bit, um, but it was all based on feedback that we got from the player base during our worldwide playtest earlier this year. Well, that's great to hear. And then yeah. the third one. The third one is the one that I am the most excited for, so I <laughs> saved it for the last. That is the Witch Warper. It's a charisma-based spellcaster. It's our first charisma-based spellcaster in the game. It's a class that I designed, so I'm a little bit biased. Um, but I, I very much like it, and it's um, based on uh, my nerdery about the uh, scientific theory um, of infinite worlds, basically, mm -hmm. that uh, there are multiple and infinite realities in which all sorts of versions of existence uh, are are real and true. And mm -hmm. so, you know, in another uh, reality, Vanessa, maybe you have blonde hair. Uh, mm -hmm. In another reality, you know, uh, maybe we're sitting over there or maybe sure. uh, this isn't taking place in Indianapolis. Maybe this is taking place in some sort of uh, weird jungle planet or something like that. <laughs> um, but the Witch Whipper uh, is somebody who not only understands the, mm -hmm. that fundamental reality, but can manipulate it to their own uh, gain to help themselves both in combat, but uh, also outside of combat by mm -hmm. warping the terrain around them, by blinking in parts of other realities uh, onto the battlefield by changing the nature uh, of creatures that they're encountering on the battlefield, reversing their insides to be on their outside, for example, is, is a very uh, high-level mm -hmm. way that the Witch Warper can do that. So there, there, are all, there are lots of different little paradigm shifts. That's the mechanic that we use. That's the, the talent system that we basically use for the Witch Warper um, that you get uh, at second level and every three levels after that, mm -hmm. you get a new paradigm shift okay. and, and a new way to uh, hone your ability to do a specific thing to change reality around you. You. Fantastic. Uh, and how do you think introducing character operations manual into the Starfinder rule set, how do you think that'll change the game overall? So I really just think it's going to add more options for folks and make more character concepts possible. Mm -hmm. uh, right now we have lots of different ways that you can do that with the core rulebook, but mm -hmm. there's no way that you can uh, build a character around uh, a charisma-based caster, for example, sure. uh, or someone who changes reality, or a mysterious spellcaster that's very hard to achieve right now. Or a mad scientist type, Yeah, a mad scientist or, yeah. for biohacker, yeah. Mm -hmm. Having an actual tank or having a character, um, you know, that uh, is going to be kind of uh, front lines and, mm -hmm. and is going to be like the literal human shield between the party and, and the bad guys. Uh, mm -hmm. That's not something that is super easy to build right now. So the Vanguard will fill that role. So I think it's about filling some okay. of those core design niches. Well, I know I'm really looking forward to seeing all the changes and all those new options. I hope you are too. Thank you so much for uh, joining me here. Yeah, between thanks panels for having now. me. And uh, we'll be back shortly with another excellent panel. And that was part of No Direction's 2019 Gen Con seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. If you'd like to find more great content like this, go to NoDirectionPodcast.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making content like this possible. If you'd like to support the network and see that future content is created, you can do so at Patreon.com slash NoDirection. Or click on the Patreon link at NoDirectionPodcast.com.